hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Yo. Today is September 2nd, 2019, for those of you listening on the day that it comes out. Have you guys seen anything new or interesting this week, or heard, or anything? I gave the new Y album a listen, A OK Ohio. Oh, nice! How was it? Um, it was a it was a different little listen. I'll say that. Um, yeah. I don't think it's Y's strongest work, but it was worth a listen. It's it's mostly like shorter songs spread across like six movements. Oh, okay. Is what they call it. So it's like it's like sixteen songs or something. And it's like thirty three minutes. Oh wow! Yeah, that's kind of cool. What's the one out, Appalachia. Yeah, Appalachia. Yeah. Appalachia. Male pattern baldness. Male pattern baldness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, they're an older band. I mean, not too old, but 90s, late 90s, and the early 2000s of death metal. Bands called Exhumed. Um, they had a, so they had so many like really good. They're like gore metal, I guess the best way you can put them. But they just actually released an album a few years ago. It was like a concept album, but they just released a new song for an upcoming album. The album is called Horror. Uh, the track they released is called Ravenous Cadavers. It's good. It's just if you like traditional 90s death metal, that Tampa scene, this band, if you haven't discovered them, you should have by now. But if not, dude, like, you know, Bill, I know you're into it, so you should oh, definitely yeah. check this out. I just heard it the other day, actually. Um, but the album, again, is hard. But the song that they have released, Ravenous Cadavers, fucking excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I think, Bill. Yes. I, uh, I was browsing through YouTube the other day and, uh, I came across a drum cam for Dimu Borgir, um, their drummer playing Chosen Legacy. Um, I I stopped listening to Dimu Borgir a long time ago, and it it wasn't like it was like a conscious decision, like oh I'm fucking done listening to him. But I just I don't know, it just fell off my radar, and I stopped listening. And um, seeing that video definitely made me jump back into their back catalog and everything. And I realized why I really enjoyed them. They're just an extremely good band, black yeah. metal band. Um, yeah. They kind of yeah. like develop more of that symphonic sound, you know, they kind of progress through that way. And then they, obviously when they split off with the, um, you know, the old man's child, yeah. you know, adaptation with the members from that band being able to establish that work. But yeah, when they got to the more symphonic sound, it got more of like a specific type of listener, but their early work, like storm blast. Yeah. Fuck it. It's good music, man. Yeah. I, I, I want to definitely jump back into that kind of music. I used to listen to in high school. I, it's just one of those things like, you know, you start evolving and yeah, you just start listening to new shit and then you just forget about all the old stuff you listen, you used to listen to. Yeah, man. On this day in music history. 1971, the Grateful Dead have their former manager, Lenny Hart, arrested for embezzling $70,000 from the group's coffers. Oh, shit. That's some fighting actions. Yeah. 70 grand in 1971. Yeah. Yeah, we got problems. a lot of money. (laughs) Especially Um, for like a peace and loving band, too. 
1976, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five become the first rap act to play a theater when they do their first major gig performing at the Audubon Ballroom in Harlem. They introduce various DJ techniques along with rap interplay and choreography. That's pretty cool. Yeah, very innovative act. Grandmaster Flash was in that time a very innovative act that really established a lot of fucking artists to come after them. And it's just funny because it, they like laid the groundwork out for yeah. what is rap that now. That hip hop scene, you know? yeah, DJing, it, it, yeah, exactly. Turn, it's just cool. Tabling. I mean, think about 1976. How many acts that hadn't come out yet that could clearly say that they drew influence? Oh my god, Grandmaster yeah. Flash. And it's funny, like listening to, like Grandmaster Flash, and then you think of like N.W.A. Oh yeah, and they pulled they straight up pulled inspiration. Well, developed from the them. whole gangster rap scene as opposed yeah. to the hip hop scene that was just more so for like the hits and the club music. But back then, that's when like rap was really had a meaning and a purpose. And yeah, exactly, and you know, yeah. even influencing you know major influence in the rap scene, LL Cool J. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, DMX. Luckily, DMX came around a, lot, a little bit later because uh, you know. Good tunes. DMX won the poll, right? Yes, yeah. he did. Oh my god! Stop, drop, shut, shut him down, down. Open, open up shop. Oh, oh no, oh. that's a rough riders road. Personally, I think we all know that the greatest rapper of all time is Baby. Put it on me. That's not. <laughs> Ja Rule. It's just false We're not going to bring him up, dude. It's just false this guy, Yeah, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> remember. It's not fraud. It's just remember, false advertisement. Remember out there any marketing companies that false advertisement is not fraud. Uh, ja Rule Esquire says so. And remember that in 1988, the Human Rights Now tour to benefit Amnesty International kicks off with a show at Wembley Stadium in London. Performers on the 20-day track are Peter Gabriel, Bruce Springsteen, Tracy Chapman, and Sting. It is Springsteen's last tour with the E Street Band until 1999, 11 years later. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize they took a break like that. Yeah, I didn't either. That's just wild. I mean, I like Bruce Springsteen, but I didn't. I was never the a giant fan or anything. No, I definitely didn't follow discography at all. It's still pretty cool. A year later, in 1989, N.W.A.'s "Express Yourself" debuts at number 45 on the Billboard R&B Hip Hop Songs chart, becoming their second single to reach that chart. Ironically, that we just mentioned this earlier. I'm expressing it's, my full capabilities. It's funny. Now I'm living yeah. in correctional facilities. Express Yourself Express was more yourself. of their like happier, like poppier song. 1993, Pearl Jam's Jeremy went, video wins four awards, including video of the year at the MTV Video Music Awards. Pearl Jam responds by not making any more videos until 1998 when they did <laughs> the animated Do the Evolution. They would do another performance video in 2002 for I Am Mine, and then they wouldn't really make another traditional music video until they made Worldwide Suicide and Life Wasted for their self-titled 2006 album. Oh, wow. That's wild. Pearl Jam was really weird with that kind of shit, too. Yeah, Pearl Jam just said, yeah, we made one video we're really not going to make anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like it it affected them in a negative way, too, to not have that extra bit of promotion out there for MTV to play. I mean, if you're talking about sales, even yeah. though they were massive, they like albums like uh, Vi- Versus and Vitalogy and No Code probably would have fared yeah. very w- much better. Like, 10 had videos. They had a video for Even Flow yep. live. Yeah. Um, and they were live Jeremy, videos. Yeah, live, well, yeah, it was actually studio but they were still able to get played. No, on it was TV. it was it was live recording. Alive was was live. So it was even, even flow. 
even flow? Yeah, it was track it was. recording. Yeah, be, no, it was a live recording because and it wasn't in the master, beginning. It's too polished to in be in the like, beginning of even flow in yeah. the recorded studio version. There is no like noise or nothing. It just uh, well, yeah, and then yeah. they got I, version goes. I was oh! under the impression yeah, yeah, that yeah, even yeah. flow was studio dub. It may have been. Well, it's almost like all right. Have you ever listened to Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy? Yeah. Hailed as a studio album, but it's also a live album. But the reason why it couldn't actually get the live effect is because they actually went in and mixed and mastered it. To yeah, make exactly. And I feel like that's what it was with even yeah, exactly. flow and alive. That's what I'm saying. So, but it's they not weren't a, like it wasn't. You know, off of ten wasn't tracked exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but it's a different recording, but it's still recorded studio exactly. version over a live setting. That and you know the also the telltale sign from those two was the guitar solos are entirely different. Well, yeah, but that's rather here or there. Pro I digress. Great. Yes. Also in 1993, Stone Temple Pilots win Best New Artist at the MTV Video Music Awards for Plush. Hell yeah! Great fucking album song everything about that plush was such a good song yeah, in that i am surprised they won best artist though best new artist gotta say well you gotta figure dude because the song plush but you think about the whole album core i mean never was a fan of core really nope. i like core holy shit dude dead and bloated cracker man dead and bloated's like my like go-to when i'm looking to get like fired dude, up sex while type thing the car, is on that there, there's like, so the many dun, dun, bam, 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 bam. Like, it's just like it's there yeah, dude. I am smelling like a rose that somebody gave me because I'm deaf and bloated. I think Wicked Guarded turned turned me off to them, kind of. Really? Yeah, really? I Wicked never really liked Dude, even the unplugged version of that's really fucking good. I want to run through your wicked Dude, think about sex type thing. Think about Cracker Man. Yeah, I never liked sex type thing. What? Let's move on to the yeah, next year. Yeah, I, I want to know what's on your mind about 1995. We'll talk about this later. 1995, Michael Jackson's You Are Not Alone becomes the first song to debut at number one on the Hot 100. In the video, Jackson and his wife, Lisa Marie Presley, appear topless. Word. That'll put that'll put a song right at number one. Yep. <laughs> Should we invent clickbait that says, uh, on this episode, we discuss uh, a topless Lisa Marie Presley. People are like, what? <laughs> what? We're Reggie. <laughs> also in 1995 the rock and roll hall of fame opens in cleveland with opening ceremony performances by bob dylan chuck berry james brown aretha franklin little richard al green the allman brothers band booker t and the mgs jerry lee lewis johnny cash the pretenders john fogarty lou reed iggy pop george clinton the kinks john mellencamp bruce springsteen the animals eric burden and boz skaggs wow it's kind of funny too it's almost because like it, and from last week yeah in the um in the opening well in the few first episodes of this podcast i was gonna it mention was in there about like them breaking, breaking ground. ground yeah, yeah. And, and then that we discussed the idea they had other options of where they were gonna put it yeah and yeah. now it's full circle wow well, that must have been congratulations late. on our atm for their 20th episode coming full circle with the idea of new topics on this day yeah that's the other thing too i want to um send out there this is the 20th episode we like to thank all of our listeners i know this is in the middle of music history but um yeah 20 episodes it's never a wrong time to show our appreciation for the listeners that's how i feel at our atm podcast the 20th episode of the extremely prolific rage against the mainstream podcast that is now global 2011 ti is arrested just days after serving an 11-month sentence at the u.s penitentiary in arkansas 
Under his probation agreement, the rapper was allowed to provide his own transportation from Arkansas to a halfway house in Atlanta. However, prison officials subjected to his vehicle of choice, a luxury SUV motor coach, and took him back into custody for violating his parole. So he violated his parole for rolling around in two flashes. I feel like maybe they made an example out of him for this thing. Like, oh, you're going to fucking, you're going to make a joke out of this, are you? Escalate, yeah. huh, buddy? Should have got a Tahoe. <laughs> Well, Should have been driving it, in a Ford Windstar, motherfucker. Well, you figure it's just uh, days after his 11 month sentence, so you figure he's in a, you know, uh, he's he's downstate, and then he's essentially going to like a uh, state, you know, halfway house, which is like DOC. I mean, it's anything yeah. around our way. But I mean, come on, dude. Like, we get it, your status, but you're going literally from a state yeah, facility to a halfway house. Yeah, it's almost like he's making a mockery house. of it. Yeah, and they made an example yeah. out of it. They him. were like, "You can't drive whatever you like." <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's the rubber band you man. Can't live your life. He drives his, you know, black SUVs wild as a Taliban. He's got a nine on his right. He also has a forty-five in the other hand. True. Damn. <laughs> Some deep shit. That's funny. Music news. Today in music news, September second, two thousand nineteen. First thing we got here is uh, ASAP Rocky found guilty of assault. Um, the rapper has been found guilty of assault in Sweden, tied to an altercation in June, but was given a suspended sentence and has been ordered to pay 12500 Swedish krona, about $1,300 US to the victim. That's kind of funny. Um, bystanders and Rocky himself caught bits and pieces of the incident on video some of which showed Rocky and his crew attempting to de-escalate the situation and walk away while all their videos appeared to show the rapper throwing the 19 year old victim to the ground. Uh, the incident led Rocky to being arrested and held in jail for several weeks in Stockholm, garnering interest from fans, celebrities, and president Trump who then sent his special envoy for hostage affairs to watch Rocky's trial. Rocky was released from prison earlier this month pending the verdict and returned to the U.S. shortly afterwards. Two other members of Rocky's entourage were also ordered to pay damages to the victim. Wild. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It's weird that uh, Trump was interested in this. Well, it's it's amazing because this almost became like more of a political stunt. A lot of the articles that were released, I mean, mm-hmm. literally... Um, there is a headline for an article. It's actually on the intelligence, sir. I mean, I don't take a lot of you know investment into news I find on the internet. Yeah. But I mean, back on July 24th, it was literally stating Trump's efforts to free ASAP Rocky showcase his racist um, opportunism. And it is true because my first reaction was like, he's tweeting about this. He's putting so much effort into care about this because ASAP Rocky had one of the biggest hit songs, I believe, in 2011. Um it this what the fuck was the name of this song? It was uh Which one is this one? He's not the one with the colored teeth, is he? No, no, no. He uh did this song where it's like um I fuck bad bitches that a fucking problem. Oh yeah, oh, he oh, did that oh. huge song. That was with like two chains. There was Drake on there. I mean, it had a lot. So he came out and he had one of the biggest songs of the year. So he's a fa- he's got a face. Like yeah. he's not your traditional, like, you know, club rapper like Migos and stuff like that today. Yeah. He's actually got a great following and his music's actually not what you would particularly think it would be. I mean, he released some hits, but again, this became more of a political stunt than anything. Yeah, I agree on that. I one. mean, the tweets about it, the memes that were made about it, and it was just almost Donald Trump 
kind of like fish his way in there to kind of like gain that support level of like I am not racist and I'm not going to go out and talk you know political concepts at this point in time but again this is more than anything about you know think about you know other rappers that deal with issues all the time and this happened to be overseas so we try to make it some almost foreign affair opportunity as well as like swaying people to kind of feel yeah, like exactly you know, he like, cares see, i'm one of you yeah he made some fucking tweet it was like you know uh, get home asap asap have a ro- i hope you don't have a rocky weekend or some bullshit pun and i'm like dude <laughs> Motherfucker, dude. It's like, come on. It, it, trying to be, it's like the dad trying to make a joke in his yeah. like mid 40s. And it's like, you're just like, stop. We please. hold no political stance here at Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. Just going to throw that one out. As a whole, <laughs> we do not have a political belief. Allegedly. For the sake of uh, public radio, uh, we choose not to delve into our personal choices and those suggestions. However, if you would like to know, email us at ratmpodcast at gmail.com. We will answer all inquiries if you are concerned about our religious or political beliefs. But for now, on radio purposes, you don't need to know. <laughs> this <All> episode. Right. <laughs> Next thing we got here in music news is System of a Down bassist Shavo Odajian explains why the band hasn't recorded new music yet. Um, he's, he said that the band have some, in quotes, pretty great ideas down for material, though, in quotes, creative differences are still hindering progress on a potential full length. Um, at the end of last year, the bassist revealed that Serge Tankian left or led outfit had been at work on material that tops everything we've done. Uh, the musician added that he was keen to record that and drop what would be the follow-up to the 2005 albums Hypnotized and Mesmerized. In April, guitarist and songwriter Darren Malakian followed up with the comments by saying that the project isn't happening anytime soon, explaining that he and his bandmates have, in quotes, different ways of wanting to do things in the studio. In a new interview, Odad Jim was asked if there were currently any ideas down for new songs, where he said, yeah, there are. He told Sirius XM before adding that there were no recordings of the music at this time. He later revealed that the band would have never stopped if it was up to him and could be on their ninth or tenth record by now. From what I gathered, um, the guitarist Darren uh, or Darian Kind yeah. of took the keys in the band for Mesmerize and Hypnotize. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, Serge wasn't really down with that. Yeah, well, he did really his own like, solo thing for a while, too. Yeah, he didn't really like Mesmerize and Mesmerize. And it, it, I didn't like, think it was that bad. Well, it's ironic because both those albums is a dual release. I mean, at least for the sake of Mesmerize, it actually debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, uh, 453,000 copies. I think they both debuted. Yeah, well, one. I mean, they were dual albums. I mean, you figure. Nah, they came out separately. They Seventeenth of November, six, yeah, it was yeah, six, six months, months apart. apart. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, for Mesmerize, they actually hit and debuted immediately on the Billboard as well. As, yeah, Hypnotize as well, but they sold less at three hundred twenty thousand copies. Wow. Um, but I mean, it's they it's were about, big. They were big albums. If you figure the yeah. the video for BYOB, I remember seeing oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. all the fucking time. But this is becoming another tool situation. You figure two thousand five. Yeah, was big. Yeah. yeah, but that's the thing though. 
System of a Down is not Tool. Exactly. By any no. stretch of the imagination. Not even close, but that's the difference. It's like these guys are also in different, like Serge Tankian is in a different act as well, and he's saying that, you know, that music is actually far beyond what he could create with System of a Down. The yeah. difference was... You know, that's the same thing with like Maynard going on with Perfect Circle and Pucifer. Mm-hmm. But these other artists are trying to like conjure up the system of a down record, and it's becoming a joke at this point because it's there is no plan. And at least they're vocal about it to come out and say, like, don't get your fucking hopes up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, you figure 2005, November was when Hypnotized was the actually latest release between six months mm-hmm. of that and Mesmerized. But both those albums debuted at number one. Yeah, I mean, you would think off the creative success alone that you would try to at least toxicity entertain. was number one too. I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were huge. I mean, it, I'm not a giant fan of System of a Down. Yeah, there's a. I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a select. Fan. I'm a select listener. Yeah, like Steal This album's pretty good, but that self title dude is. Yeah, mm-hmm. self title yeah. toxicity and Steal This album are all good as. That's hell. like a weird listen for me though, like System of a Down for, but I, I can't get into like other acts of that era that were like weird and out there like that for yeah. some reason. System just does it right. You know, but I mean, like, again, at least they're vocal about it. So the fans aren't sitting around expecting something. I mean, you're on, you know, a 14 year break of releasing albums at this point And yeah, exactly. just no hope for a future at this time. I mean, so. uh, new music would be cool, but whatever. Not going to hold my breath. Yeah, From exactly. what I gather, when they made the first one in Toxicity, um, they were kind of all in the studio together and kind of came up with it all. Like they all yeah. came up with the songs together, whether a practice yeah. and rehearsal As a or band in the studio. Do. And then after that, it be kind of it kind of became a Darren Malakian musical project that Surge was plopping vocals on top. Yeah, of exactly. Which is how Mesmerize and Hypnotize were made. Yeah, I mean, and those two albums definitely showed that. Yeah, they're not as like tight as yeah, Toxicity. Exactly. But yeah. thinking like the single with like Boib being the first one to come out uh, with Mesmerize before even Hypnotize drops, with that being one of the singles. Um, BYOB, you can clearly tell the difference in the music that they're starting mm-hmm. to produce, and you can see like they're probably because you're saying creative differences. They probably, regardless of sales, were not fucking happy with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, sales um, of what? Steal this album? No, no, uh, both uh, Hypnotize and Mesmerize. You think they weren't happy? No, I don't think they were happy with the quality of the music that they were putting out on themselves. I think they were like critiquing themselves. Because oh, yeah. think about the difference of toxicity and then these albums. Yeah. And then if, even if you go back to like Steal This Album as well as the self-title, it's there's a huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Huge difference. Yeah. Um, you can tell that Mesmerize and Hypnotize are coming from a more commercially oh, yeah. place when you listen and to And you them. see that on the chart records as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Speaking of big differences, this is something you're not going to see in this new Guns N' Roses settlement. Uh, Guns N' Roses settled trademark dispute with Guns N' Rosé craft beer. (laughs) Sounds disgusting. Yes. Guns N' Roses settled a trademark infringement case against a craft brewery for selling beer named Guns N' Rosé without permission. You know how many people are out there with man buns right now, like hoping it's a solid IPA, like can I get the Guns N' Rosé? And it's just as disappointing as Chinese democracy. Ooh. The facts, album. Hard facts, <laughs> hard facts. Um, the band filed a federal lawsuit in May in California against uh, Canarchy Craft Brewery Collective, also known as Oscar Blues Brewery, after its management team realized the brewery was not only selling Guns N' Rose named beer, but also filing to trademark the name. When Guns N' Roses learned Canarchy attempted to trademark the name in 2018, the band objected and demanded that it retract the application. When the beer company failed to do so, they filed a federal lawsuit for using the Guns N' Roses name and prestige without the group's approval. 
According to the 23-page complaint, the band also successfully licenses the Guns N' Roses name over the years to sell clothing, bandanas, wine glasses, pint glasses, and other merchandise. After negotiations, Guns N' Roses reached an agreement with the brewery on July 31st to settle claims and dismiss the lawsuit. The terms of the settlement agreement are confidential. Attorneys for Guns N' Roses and Kenarchy Craft form or from did not respond to Billboard's request for comment. So, this is Axel trying to grab as much money as he can. Of course, Oscar but this Blues is confusing because Guns N' Roses, Guns N' Roses files a lawsuit, and then obviously it's withdrawn because they came up with some sort of agreement. So I'm curious if they just said well, we're going to stop calling it this, and they were like, "We'll just give you some like millions of dollars because we're probably going to lose money trying to sue Fight this, you, yeah. and it'll just go on for fucking years of litigation." Um, but that's just like, I mean, it's. It's almost like a podcast, you know. I was thinking the same thing, William. <laughs> well, luckily, we're not making any money, and we're not marketing anything to sell. We would like to make money, though. We like money. If you we like to give do. us money, we'll take your money. Capitalism. <laughs> yes. But this, to me, like, I I doubt Guns N' Roses as a whole had something to do with this, and it was probably just Axel going like, you know what? We're going to show these motherfuckers what is up. How'd that go? Uh, you just heard it right there. Plus, press a uh, you know, minus back fifteen seconds. Yeah, can we get like a uh, duplicate of that portion and have it slowed down? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you're essentially calling here Axel Rose, the Lars Ulrich of Guns and Roses, well, another I mean, puppet on the street. What if Axel show and Lars Ulrich started a band? Who would play guitar? Holy shit! Anybody. They would be on hiatus before they even began. <laughs> they would be talking about an anticipated album for two decades. We learned that fans no are plotting material. to illegally steal our music. <laughs> That's all they would do. They would be in the studio instead of recording music, figuring out lawsuits on how they can sell a peanut company for na- naming yeah, like a exactly. brand of peanuts. And the band would gain enough traction in litigations and lawsuits. Oh yeah, that's how they, they would make the money. A song. Our treasonous fans are planning to steal our music, <laughs> so we will not even make it. <laughs> yeah. We're a band only in name. <laughs> We're saying this now on September 2nd. So just in case this happens, we predicted the future. <laughs> yeah, if Lars and Axel create a band, there's a sign of like a plague coming or something. <laughs> Speaking of fictional bands. Yeah, ironic that we talk about this smooth as fuck so <laughs> the idea yeah fictional bands it's funny because um the movie we recommended last week being this is spinal tap obviously being a mockumentary and a very cult following until it actually gained a lot of traction in later years um obviously spawning the band spinal tap that so many people aren't even familiar were like created by this movie. fucking movie that was just fake but it's funny because, and it's weird, like you can kind of like get that breakdown on fictitious bands as well as joke bands and acts that kind of like are more for comedic relief, but are actually producing some solid music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of bands we could talk about, but I mean, I just kind of want to like, we'll go around and make it easy enough to pick a few, but I'm going to start off, um, obviously more so with the band Death Clock, um, 
total fictitious personas. They're based off the, you know, cartoon essentially off of Adult Swim being Metalocalypse. Just going to throw this out here. I am a major Metalocalypse and Death Clock. Oh, yeah, dude. And it's funny because even the songs itself, you figure like Guitar Hero was featuring songs by well-known artists and uh, Thunder Horse was like able to make it on there. And all this while, it's just a total... It's a band with a bunch of good musicians. However, it's just more so of all persona based. And it's not like your typical gore or kiss or having all these different type of fictitious actors portraying certain people, but really mm-hmm. being a band. But it's just funny because, um, you know, a lot of the characters are based off of like musicians that yeah. are already familiar in the scene, you know. And- Alexi Lahayo from Children of Bodom, supposed yeah. to be Squizgar. Exactly. Did you see the Soundgarden video where they were Death Clock or whatever? Or they were like a Death Clock style band? No. Um, Black Rain. Oh, okay. I know yeah. you're talking. I never watched it. Yeah, it was a long, it was a while ago, but. Um, William cool. Murderface is supposed to be Geezer Butler. Yeah. Um, Nathan Explosion is supposed to be George Corpse Grinder. Of course, yep. And uh, Toki is supposed to be, um, I forget the dude's name from Meshuggah. Um, Frederick? Frederick. He's supposed to be Frederick. From Meshuggah? From, from Meshuggah. And Pickles is supposed to, I think Pickles is supposed to look like Axl Rose or something. No. Um, I'll tell you right now. I forget. He's the bassist from, uh, I can't think of the band. However, Pickles in the show, the drummer, does front a band that he had in the 80s called Snakes and Barrels, which is an obvious ripoff of Guns N' Roses. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's funny, too, uh, with the band itself, like when we talk about these bands and then having the members. I mean, I'll just start with, obviously, one of the most important members of that band being the drummer, being Gene Hoagland. Yeah. Gene Hoagland, if you're not familiar with him, he did a lot in the 90s death metal scene coming later on death. with the band death well yeah death and he's just dark angel and it's funny because it being a fictitious Strapping band lad. Who's the guy devin townsend devin townsend that's, that's pickles, pickles is supposed is. To that's be. what i was trying yes. to think of thank you all right perfect so gene ho <laughs> gene Hoagland, i mean again just having these musicians it's funny because these guys are creating actual work and it's just kind of obviously more for the three albums relief. worth to be exact yeah and they're Death actually Clock three albums. Death Clock Damn. one two, or Death Album one, two, and three. I own all of them. Yep, they're very good. You have CDs of them? No, I download them uh, on iTunes. Put it this way: Peak Positions, uh, the Death, Death Album Death hit twenty one in the U.S. U.S. Rock hit five. U.S. Hard Rock hit three. Death Album three hit ten in the U.S. charts, and it hit one and one both on U.S. Rock and U.S. Hard Rock. And it's they're all good. Yeah. For those of you that aren't fans of the show and don't understand. The out al- the songs on the albums are actual songs that are played in the show that are specific to said episodes. Yeah, like um, uh, uh go into the water. Remember that song when they were um. Do they still make Metalocalypse? There's talks of another season because they did three seasons and then a um a, a rock opera episode, and then Adult Swim dropped them, and they were trying to find a new home to put the show out and now there's talks of adult swim coming back to them or them coming back to adult swim but that's been talks for some time now we're in like another fucking tool situation (laughs) i just want one more season that's all i want one season the last album death clock three or death album three came out in 2012 the show actually wrapped up and being october 27th of 2013 is when the final episode was premiering but again it's it's funny because when you listen to these albums, you're actually hearing quality work. And yes. it's just funny for the relief factor of this. It's not serious, but serious at the same time. The band is fronted by 
Brendan Small, who is the he plays most of the rhythm parts, like Toki's parts, and he's the voice of Nathan Explosion. Um, Brian Beller is the bass player from Aristocrats with Guthrie Gov- Guthrie Groven. Um, obviously Gene Hoagland from various '90s death metal fame, and Mike Keneally, um, guitarist for Frank Zappa, I believe, right? Yeah. Steve Vai. Yep. Um, I've never got the chance to see them live. They played at the Art Museum in Philadelphia a few years back. And from the live videos that I've seen from them playing Comic-Con and stuff like that, they are incredible. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's virtually a, a metal super group. It really is. And to think that it all comes basically from Brendan Small, who's also went on to release uh, Galacticon. Yeah. the I think Galacticon 1 and 2 um just an extremely good band and you know it's it's cool that they are a fictitious band in in film and television but it's also a real functioning working band in real life yeah and it, it, bottom line is if you listen to you know the bands that we mentioned and being strapping Ling lad uh cannibal corpse even children of Bodom with alexi leo i mean this music you you, you sincerely i think would enjoy it yeah, I mean, absolutely. don't go into it to look for that really like melodic at the gates or in flames like type melodic death metal or even Children of Broden with like Hate Breeder, but you will get There's some quality there. musicianship yes. out of these like all three of these albums. What uh, what other bands you got, Steve? So got another one. The last one, yeah, I'll talk about real quick is uh, if everybody's familiar with the movies, forgetting Sarah Marshall as well as get him to the Greek Infant Sorrow, Infant Sorrow, man, and Out of Snow. Snow. So obviously, Out of Snow, played by Russell Brand, it's a fictitious band off of both these movies. More Jonah so, Hill's a big fan. Jonah Hill's yeah. a huge fan. He even enjoyed African Child. He had to admit to it. <laughs> <laughs> he had to admit to that shit. But here's the thing. First of all, I'll recommend both the movies. Just stroke the fairy wall. <laughs> Oh my God, uh, Jeffrey! <laughs> oh, my, it's a fucking Jeffrey. W- what is it? Uh, my beans and mash. Yeah, dude. Um, but pretty much the way it starts <laughs> is in forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, you have Alice Snow's character first appear in there. He's um pretty much plot line. Uh, you know, he's dating this girl who I don't want to get an actor's name to just go through the whole movie, but he's dating this girl who broke up with her, you know, fiance at the time, and he's just kind of like this big artist out of snow. But you don't really see much until the movie Get Him to the Greek comes out, mm-hmm. and then that whole movie essentially becomes about Jonah Hill trying to get out of snow to play this big show, um, bring Infant Sorrow back, and he's just a total mess. So you get to see like the comedy aspect of just like this guy trying to get a rock and roll star like tame and it's hilarious but how many kookaroos do you own yeah i owe 20 kookaroos <laughs> y'all the fucked but <laughs> well, it's just funny too like i mean just the whole scene where he's got like the heroin shoved up his ass for yeah. out of snow <laughs> yeah. and then he winds up like fucking like ruining it he's a mule he's like you're gonna need to go out and get me some heroin immediately and then he goes out and goes through this whole process and watches the guy get stabbed, gets the heroin, comes <laughs> back, and out of snow already has the heroin. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm already good. It's okay. And he's just... The whole movie is hilarious. But the band itself, they actually release some good songs. Obviously, the movie itself follows like his recent single, Fictitiously Being African Child. Yeah. And it's like a commercial success, but it's like a fucking shit song. Dude. Yeah. And like it sparked up a lot of... like uh, like. Uh... <laughs> Controversy, yeah, controversy yeah. racism. Oh yeah, it, but it like was I creating how this that song wave. Goes. 
I forget it's too, some, but it, African child. It's like been this big joke because there's a scene in it where he's like on the plane and you know trying to get the truss out of Snow's asking Jonah Hill's character like, "Well, how'd you feel about African Child?" And he, like Jonah Hill hates it, but he's like, "I loved it. I thought it wasn't too bad." Because he just doesn't want to yeah. like lose the opportunity again. It's misunderstood. Yeah, it's misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> like other albums we yeah. know about, Kiss but um. Yeah, I mean, Connor, I mean, obviously you're familiar with this band as well in some regard. Yeah, I mean, I like them. Um, my sister's a real big fan. That's how I know them. Um, I, actually, it's funny because the only song I really remember is African Child. Because <laughs> um, you kind of have to, like, get into them. They're, the music's not really, like, all throughout the yeah. movie or anything. <laughs> They're, like deep cuts if so it's will. funny because like with the when you say the songs they actually have like released songs from different years being between 2008 2010 because of the movies but the one song inside of you yeah <laughs> you know all of them are uh bangers beans and mash furry <laughs> walls african child going up the clap yeah the clap was like their uh, youtube yeah. type you song it was like a youtube type song um, but yeah, there's so many good songs um, that they released throughout the movie, and it made it fun because I'm sure Bill, you're familiar with another movie that features a fictitious band, Almost Famous. No, no, no. Think about it. I don't Rock know. There's, there's so many. Steel Dragon. I am Steel Dragon. See, there's another one because you think about movies that you could talk about that created these yeah. bands, and then they create actual music, so they're not just like ripping off other artists to act like yeah. that band and All follow right. a whole well, movie plot. And arguably one of Mark Wahlberg's best roles ever. <laughs> no, it's a joke. That movie was like an absolute flop. Um, Rockstar is a movie where it's almost like everyone's dream that comes true. It's actually loosely based off of um, Tim Ripper Owens. Judas Priest. Yeah. June joining Judas Priest. Yeah. Where um, Mark Wahlberg is a singer of a cover band or a tribute band, as he says, to these metal giants known as steel dragon, which at the time is, you know, basically like a Judas priest. And, um, there's scouts that see him singing live and they bring him in to join the band. And as you go in and you start seeing this band, you start seeing some familiar faces. Indeed. You see Zach wild as the lead guitar player. You see Jason Bonham as the drummer, son of John Bonham, Led Zeppelin fame. And you see the bass player from Dokken, Jeff Pilson. Mm. I mean, Dokken's one of those like throwaway 80s bands, yeah. but Jeff is a very good bass player. <clears throat> also in the movie, the band that Mark Wahlberg was in, the tribute band, actually has the drummer from the band Slaughter. Remember that song, Up All Night, Sleep All Day? Yeah, the, the glam band Slaughter. Yeah, there's another yeah, Slaughter. Yeah, the glam band that Slaughter. Song. Yeah. Well, that's the drummer for the tribute band. And the guitar player for the tribute band that plays like the Zach Wild part in the cover version is actually Nick Cantonese, the second guitar player from Black Label Society at the time, which is actually he was known like uh, a stage name was like the evil twin because he was able to play Zach Wild's parts note for note. But um <clears throat> as you start getting into the movie and you start hearing more and more of the music, you start realizing that this music is pretty fucking good. And if you're like me and you dig deeper and deeper and you find out things about this movie, um, there's a few really good songs like um, We All Die Young, 
which is actually a song by a band called Steel Steelheart. Mm. And the singer from Steelheart is actually the singer or is actually the guy that actually does the vocals for Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg's just lip syncing it. So just in case you guys are watching the movie and oh my god, Mark Wahlberg can sing. He can't. Got those good vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> he can dance. He can't sing. Um yeah, and then um like Stand Up and Shout, which is another really good song. Turns out it's a Sammy Hagar song. Sammy Hagar wrote that song and they used it for the movie. So it's not actually a Sammy Hagar song. It's it, like a written song. It wasn't on a studio album. He it was on a studio album. It was? It's on Sammy, Sammy Hagar's ha- greatest hits. Wait, wait, wait. So let me ask you a question. After the came- movie came out? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's not a studio so album. So hold on, hold on. Or before, beforehand. Sammy Hagar wrote the song. Look it up. It's called Stand Up and Shout or Stand so, Up. But I'm saying, who's actually singing the vocals when Mark Wahlberg's lip singing? The guy from Steelheart. Okay, so let me ask you this. That song was written by Sammy Hagar for yes. the movie? No, no. It was, it was a Sammy Hagar song, like completely before the movie came out. Oh, okay. So it was already yeah, released it was already and recorded. A song. And... Yes. And um, they changed some of the lyrics around for, you know, like... Uh, like plot points in the movie, like the singer is uh the singer's gay and like the song's about exploring sexuality and whatever, but in the Sammy Hagar version it's not about that. They just share the same the same basic ideas for the song and the chorus is the same. Not me not being familiar with uh, you know, Sammy Hagar, not a huge fan so much, but the song itself, I mean, if you are they really that similar? Like yeah, you know it's, it's if pretty you... similar. Minus like obvious the giant like guitar parts that are Zach Wild. Yeah. If if the Zach Wild aspect of the song wasn't so huge and out there, you wouldn't be able to tell the songs the songs apart. That's crazy. I because like I mean, I'm guessing like most of the other songs on there aren't by original artists. No, um, I'm not sure who wrote most of the music, but there's like on the official soundtrack for the movie. Yeah. There's um basically all the songs throughout the movie like Wasted Generation. So it's all songs written by artists, obviously, to portray the same way with Death Clock and Invincar. Like you had musicians record yes. for this band, but original tracks just for Steel Dragon. Exactly. But that one song is actually like a, technically a Sammy Hagar song. It's a Sammy Hagar song. It's fucking weird, man. It is weird, but it, it was it's a good song. I mean, you've seen the movie. The song's good. And um debatable. I just think what makes those songs so much better is the fact of the band that recorded those songs like Jason Bonham, Zach Wilde, and Jeff Pilson. Yeah, they yeah. They make a very good band. With technically a super group if you think about it. And um they just made good songs for this movie and you know, I know it's not popular belief, but I actually really enjoy this movie. I have it still downloaded to my phone to this day. I'll put it this way, it's then. not like an incredible film. It could have been done good way watch. better. Yeah, it's a good watch. It features a young Gen- Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Very true. Good movie. And actually, for those of you that are unfamiliar, Zach Wilde actually grew a beard after said movie because there was a deleted scene where they meet up with Steel Dragon like 10 years later and Zach Wilde's character is like living in the woods and mm-hmm. like he's a fucking mountain man. He grew a beard. And if the story holds true, he looked at himself in the mirror and was like, I fucking like this. Mm-hmm. So he continued to grow his beard, which is now... You know, one um, of the most notable more. things about Zach Wilde. current Wild. staple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, another band that I want to bring up is The Wonders, or The O'Neaters. Yeah, they're like the best fictitious band, I feel like. Yeah. Um, that Well, that, I mean, they only have one song, really, maybe two, but... The um, the song um, in question is That, thing you, that thing you Do. It's actually written by Adam Schlesing, Schlesch... 
Inger Schlesinger from the band Fountains of Wayne. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's who wrote that song. And for those of you who don't know, That Thing You Do is a movie about a fictitious band that writes a one-hit wonder, and they go into stardom, and they're almost like a like a Beatles-type band that, you know, in like the, what was the movie set in the 60s? Yeah. In the like early, mid-60s. They were like a post-Beatles, like one-hit wonder. Yeah. yeah. And that's also a really good movie starring Tom Hanks. Actually, Tom Hanks, I believe, was an executive producer on that movie. And it's actually really, really good. I, you guys have seen that movie, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, tons of times. Yeah, that movie's my shit. But S- um, Stillwater is probably my favorite from All Is Famous. Yeah. Now, isn't yeah. that loosely based off a of Led Zeppelin? Yeah, it's loosely based Stillwater off Led Zeppelin. Band. Stillwater is a real band from the seventies. They get that. Well, that's not where they got their name from, though. They got their name from Soundgarden. From oh, Rusty okay. Cage. Yeah. Hey, figure the time the movie was released. Um, and Cameron Crowe was boys with the grunge people. From oh, Singapore. yeah, that's true. But that whole storyline is loosely based off of yeah, Led, Led Zeppelin's story. Cameron Crowe going on tour with them, yeah, yeah, when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, Stillwater, that that fucking song, Fever Dog. Fever Dog, yeah. That shit's man. on my Spotify. I, I listen to that song at least once a and day. The, but th- this is the thing with these fictitious bands, because you bring up Stillwater... <laughs> I wouldn't consider like if you just put bands alone as Stillwater being one of the best fictitious, but it's just the movie, like yeah, the movie yeah. itself really sets insane. that band because it's just such a phenomenal, like well done movie, man. And but it's that's the cool thing about it because when you have like same thing with Rockstar, where you're actually elaborating more on the band and not a movie because mm-hmm. then it's, you're literally watching a documentary about a band that doesn't exist. You got any other bands, Connor? You want to talk about? Oh, uh, the Cantina band from Star Wars is always good. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, when they went to Mos Eisley and they actually went and met Han Solo the first they time, they set the that, mood. That place looked popping. Dude. Yeah. yeah, those guys were in it. You want to talk about? Remember last week where you talked about that band you saw with all the various instruments? Oh yeah, Evil Sword. I mean, yeah. Cantina Band was like way, way behind yeah. on their times because they were bringing back some styles <laughs> of music. I don't think you know, uh, Galaxy Far, Far Away was ready for. Yeah. I mean, those guys are probably putting out some hits. But the most legendary uh, fictitious band. Pretty much the yeah, most Rangers? iconic. No. Well, first of all, notable mention. Great. <laughs> yeah, notable mention before we the get Lone into Rangers. The, Yeah, Lone Rangers is an excellent, excellent From the movie band. Airheads. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, you got a fucking problem as well. What band? Spinal Tap. Oh. Well, <laughs> It's just funny because when you talk about fictitious bands, this is like the first thing that comes to mind if you ever start to describe it. Because the mockumentary, this is Spinal Tap, which is what we're obviously you know going to review later on at the end of this segment. Um, it, I, they had no clue what that was no. going to do. No clue. And it's funny because then they that movie created a yeah. band. I mean, think of any other circumstance where that happened. You figure when we talk about Death Clock selling albums and things like that, they didn't go out to tour as like a band for yeah. themselves. I mean, some people know Spinal Tap and don't even know about yeah. this film. Because Spinal Tap That's is the a funny touring part act. Literally. And I mean, it's, it is it is kind of really funny that all the members that were in the movie are actually the real-ass members in real life. In the band. And like, yeah. um, the, the guitar player, I forget his name in the movie, but um, <clears throat> he actually has a signature guitar through Ernie Ball Music Man guitars. The yellow one with all the pickups and shit. Yeah, it's just kind of funny, and uh, I guess that's going to get into our review of this is Spinal. Yeah, we just jump right into it. So, um, yeah, like we said before, this Spinal Tap is a mockumentary. 
documentary style movie based off the fictitious band at the time, Spinal Tap. And it just shows like how like clueless these guys are. And there's a lot of really funny moments. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind is the Stonehenge one. The Stone, where they're yeah. Thinking they're going to get yeah. the life size Stonehenge on stage. And like the little one shows up like the size of like a chessboard. <laughs> Most of the dialogue in the film was improvised and dozens of hours were used, which were later pulled. Oh, wow. From. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Kind of a cool approach. <laughs> like yeah. Christopher Guest is hilarious in that movie. He really is. And like, Michael like McKean. McKean. The um the other running joke that's really funny is the whole um the drummers, like all how they had like all like unexpected yeah, deaths. The one just like spontaneously <laughs> yeah. combusted. In two thousand two, it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. Think about that. Two thousand two. That's how they're hailing it. The the movie came out what nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Right. Yep. And it's just that's another thing of like describing times and but again i think about that coming out in 1984 it's not in 2002 that it's and and just because of what they say is not so much to like be the be all end all but they'd already had a cult following leading up into spinal tap actually becoming its own entity but now it is literally one of those films and the idea of music where you watch american cinema dude seriously it's like got its own value in itself i Think of any other mockumentary you've ever seen out there about like fake situation that created something that literally became its own like I can't own think thing. of any, nope. not a single one, especially in the world of music, but even anything else. Yes, yeah, it's just it's, you know it's I mean? wild. It's such a culturally per, like uh, it's like a culturally um, important movie. It really and, is. I mean, I would like to see how many bands actually saw that movie and it inspired them to make their own music. You know what I mean? Like something, someone that drew like, you know, one hundred percent influence from that movie. And then it's ironic when you bring up the idea of like I didn't know about the amount of improv film that had to be cut because then essentially if you do this in reverse time, this is literally a documentary about Spinal Tap as opposed to a mockumentary that led to become exactly. Spinal Tap. Because these this this is really them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not seeing actors portraying a band that now yeah, exactly. They they literally became the band. Yeah. Glenn Danzig said of the film, when I first saw Spinal Tap, I was like, hey, this is my old band, <laughs> referring to the Misfits. <laughs> it's pretty fucking accurate, actually. The film resonated with many musicians, according to Wikipedia. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Jerry Cantrell, Dee Snyder, and Ozzy Osbourne all reported that, like Spinal Tap, they had, all, they had become lost in confusing arena backstage hallways at one That's point, so funny. trying to make their way Even, to the stage. Even um, remember when we all watched Pearl Jam 20? When they were talking about all their ex drummers, they um they refer to it as their spinal tap drummer moments. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> this gets references oh all God, over yeah. the place yeah. though. Lars Ulrich told a press conference crowd that the Metallica Guns N' Roses nineteen ninety two tour seemed so spinal tap. The tour was in support of Metallica's own black album, which was what uh Spinal Tap named one of their albums as a joke you know, in the film. It's kind of funny. I wonder if uh, you know Christopher Guest wouldn't mind getting on there and suing Lars Ulrich, giving him a little taste of his own <laughs> fucking medicine for once. Shortly after the tour started, James Hetfield suffered third-degree burns on his arms after oh, yeah. he stood too close to a pyrotechnic device. Yeah, yeah. that was during Fade during to Black. That That's when that riot started. That was also, too, when the riot started because then Axel refused yeah. to go on because apparently he had throat issues. Meanwhile, they were seen backstage smoking reds and drinking Jack Daniels the whole time with having no care whatsoever man, about being able this. to perform. We got to slow that down. <laughs> we got to edit that really funny. Man, fuck it, this. <laughs> <laughs> 
1992 interview, Nirvana explains declining the offer to be a part of the film's singles. Kurt Cobain goes on to say, there's never really been a good documentary on rock and roll bands. Dave Grohl cuts in saying, except Spinal Tap. Literally. That's funny. Stroke. I'm pretty sure Dave Grohl, which, uh, which Cobain agreed pretty with. Sure Dave Grohl had joined Spinal Tap on stage at one point or another. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's no way to look that up, but knowing Dave Grohl, it's probably a possibility, and it definitely happened. Well, yeah, I mean, you figure in that time in '84, when did Spinal Tap actually form to start? Doing it was at, music? it was very soon after that. Yeah, and they were touring, and they, I believe, they would play like Walkin' and stuff too. Like yeah, the, they were all over the place. Like they were a legitimate touring band that released music. U2 guitarist The Edge said in the documentary It Might Get Loud that when he first saw Spinal Tap, I didn't laugh, I weeped, because it summed up what a brainless swamp big label rock music had become. Seriously. The type of typical positions we take here at Rage Against the Mainstream. Absolutely. I mean, we still don't like U2 at all, but... Yeah. And I still want an apology for the Apple Music fiasco back in 2013. Yeah, you hear us, Bono? <laughs> My yeah. buddy Tyler's mom swears that uh, the, the Edge wanted to marry her back in the 70s. Really? <laughs> in Ireland? I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Apparently he, t- he was in New York or some shit at one point. I don't know. Okay. It's uh, the anyway. Edge Tyler's dad. So <laughs> that was... All right, I don't even think we need to go it's through the reviews that we have here through... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Times and Associated Press and Variety Magazine, because, I mean, those are some solid reviews just based on personal musicians, and I think that's the kind of respect this movie needs is actually getting honest reviews instead of publication. Um, but overall, let's go around, do our old here Rage Against the Mainstream review one out of ten segment to break down the average. All right, I feel like because of how classic the movie is and just in general of what it is, I have to give this movie, I can't say 100, I can't really say a 90, I'd probably give it, uh, I'd probably give it an 80, 88%. Really? That low? I don't know, like, I, I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking of how it could have been done better, or even, well, then again, now I'm thinking about it, for the time. Yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for the times, this movie... We're not judging your opinion, man. You can go with an 80 if you want. I'll meet in the middle. It'll be an 85. I'll give it an 8.5. Fair enough. Fair enough. Perfect. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. What about you, Steve? Nine and a half. It's one of the greatest movies of yeah, all time. It, it's because it's a great movie. It's just well done. What it created, the staple it put, and the idea of just music documentaries in general. Um, the relatability, especially for acts coming out of the time. There was just so much done to this film that nobody really realized until years down the line. It's like something that totally stood the test of time and became more apparent over the years. Um, but yeah, giving a perfect score is difficult, so 9.5 is how it Well, that makes our grand total to a 9.3 or 93%. Is that our highest review? I think it average? might be. Yeah, I think this might be. Yeah. Congratulations, Spinal Tap, or this is Spinal Tap, rather. So put it this way. If you've been listening to this podcast now for 20 weeks with the obviously break in between, but for 20 episodes and you have yet to watch any of our movie recommendations, watch This is, the this one. is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap is the one. This is the one. This is certified rage-worthy. Yeah, if you had to drop every <laughs> single movie suggestion we had and you only had to keep one, this is the one to date. 
And, you know, we are, I mean, we're pretty on par with everybody. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 95%. Rotten Tomatoes audience score gave it a 92%. IMDb gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah. So, fuck IMDb. Yeah. Um, IMDb actually, is I'm, always a little yeah. tougher. I'm on IMDb for my role in Secret Lover. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's Get funny. fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Um, Associated Press Review says, Reiner with McKean, Guest, and Harry Shearer have done a great job in creating and portraying characters that are dim-witted, cliched, and oddly endearing. Um, the New York Times says it is so it stays so wickedly close to the subject that it is very nearly indistinguishable from the real thing. And Variety says for music biz insiders, this is Spinal Tap is a vastly is a vastly amusing satire of heavy metal bands. I don't know how I feel about that, but I mean, I guess at the time, like glam and all that other shit, it was probably very true. Um, yeah, so you know. But it was pretty perfect with our score. I mean, it's that good. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just that good. I actually did this. I'm thinking of Straight Out of Compton. I think we were, we were really high on Straight Out of Compton, too. Straight Out of Compton was fucking it was a great fucking movie. Awesome. But yeah, obviously, the difference in the idea of documentary yeah. sense is documentary sense actors and real people now be real people, especially in the Spinal Tap world. But yeah, I mean, if it's not, it's not. But. I would still recommend this over Straight Outta Compton just for historical value. Oh, yeah. Alone. All right, let's roll into our personal suggestions this week. What do you guys got? Connor? I just had it. Fuck. What was it? Oh, yeah. Um. All right, my personal suggestion of the week is REM's uh, Rarities Compilation Dead Letter Office. It kind of, nice. like, combed together all their, like, uh, lesser-known tracks from their IRS years before they signed to Warner Brothers. Um, if you're going to listen to one song from it, I'd recommend the pylon cover crazy. It's also got, um, velvet underground covers and a bunch of other good REM songs that no one really knows. All right. Nice. Um, I'm going to go a little, not so much mainstream, but like with the hipster vibe and recommend the 1986 third studio released by the Smiths. The album is called the queen is dead. Um, great album uh, there's a light that never goes out it's a phenomenal album um <laughs> all the way through not my favorite by the smiths what is so. your favorite meet is murder self-title yeah. meet, is murder? meet is murder yeah. yeah i'm a queen is dead fan yeah queen is dead is just all the way through because big mouth strikes again is another just really really fucking good song and then also too oh, yeah i do i forgot that cemetery one gates is on Wait, there big mouth strikes again is on meet is murder right nope Oh shit! See, yeah, I kind of fell off from the Smiths. So I haven't listened to them heavily. That's what I was saying. This just kind of came to my mind last second because I just realized, like, I've been listening to a lot of like '90s alternative, and then going back to like some '80s with like The Cure and stuff like mm. that. And I just totally forgot. I haven't listened to the Smiths. Put it this way, I don't like Morrissey solo shit. I like not, some of it. Not a fan of it, but the Smiths. I mean, they have some... every day is like Sunday. You don't like? No. Really? No, no. Even New Order, I'm not a fan of. Like all those posts. Really? You, know, you don't yeah. like New Order? Not a huge fan. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, on the same realm as Joy Division? No. Dude, New Order's got some shit. They do, but it's just the same way with Morrissey. He's got some stuff too, but it's just I can't compare it to the Smiths for some reason. Totally different vibe. <laughs> My suggestion this week to stay true to the main topic is the 2012 release from Death Clock entitled <laughs> Death Album 3. Oh. Would you um, say it's the finest of the Death Clock trilogy? Yeah. 
Uh, I would say so. I mean, because virtually, well, the first two albums are literally how they wrote these albums where there was little clips in each episode and they wrote songs based around these clips. Yes. Death Album 3, they wrote these songs beforehand and it shows. And there's a documentary about it on um, YouTube, Making of Death Album 3. If you give it a watch, it'll give you really good insight into the making of that album. Yeah. But my standout track is uh, the actual first track off the album, I Ejaculate Fire. Single. Yeah, the that single. That actually hit some charts, too, That song kicks fucking serious ass. Yeah. Death Album 3 is just all good. Put it this way. It may make you ejaculate. It may make you ejaculate fire. I ejaculate fire. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, Death Album 3, I ejaculate fire. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Our group suggestion this week is the movie documentary called uh, It Might Get Loud. It is a movie about Jimmy Page, Jack White, and The Edge getting in a room together and discussing the electric guitar. I guess it... Might be about, you know, three different generations of guitar players or whatever. I don't know. It seems like it's going to be pretty good. Check it out. We'll review it next week. All right. Looks, sounds good. I just want to take this time out to thank our listeners once again. This is episode number 20. Um, you know, various countries all over the world. Um, we enjoy doing this podcast and giving it out to you guys every Monday. We're going to continue to do this as long as you guys listen to it. Um. I guess that about wraps up. Do you guys have anything else to say to our listeners? Um, thanks, Mark. I know you're out there listening every week. We we really all appreciate your continued uh, stewardship of our growth. No, I'm just I'm also just stoked at the idea that like we're not even making a penny to do this. This has just become more of a fun environment for us yeah. to rock out and people actually listen. I mean, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I like to also put out there in the email suggestions that if you guys ever want to hear anything discussed, debated as a local act, you want to have your music put on before copyright starts to infringe everything reach out to us man yeah like we literally have the streaming networks available to be able to get your shit out there and even if you want to hear something talk personally about your opinions fucking hit us up yeah exactly uh you can find us email is ratm podcast at gmail.com twitter.com instagram.com facebook.com slash ratm podcast our podbean page ratm podcast.podbean.com we're now available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever else you hear your podcasts. Streaming networks through Android as well. Streaming as networks through Android as well. Uh, Alexa, Amazon Echo, you know, wherever. And check us at Wells Fargo Center where we'll be, we'll be performing the quick medley of the intro for the podcast <laughs> on um, November 18th. What's it called? I'm an egg in a tree. I'm an egg in a yeah. tree. I'm an egg in a tree. <laughs> You know, it's just it's just crazy to think about it that we're just three dudes sitting in a basement. We didn't know what this was going to do starting. It was just a fun idea. And now it turned into other people listen to us on a weekly basis. And chances are, if they're listening to us, they have the same opinions that we do. And we'd like to hear them. Exactly. 400 Rage Against the Mainstream podcast fans can't be wrong. This is true. Like I said before, make sure you guys check us out on our social media accounts. Like, subscribe, show all of your friends, show all your family, ram it down their throats. 
Make them want to listen like you do. Put it this way. At one point in time, there was four people watching Nirvana play live, thinking of nothing but the opportunity that they could have made friends with these guys. Yeah. You have the opportunity now to hit our inbox up, and one day, if it ever becomes something, we'll never forget you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe one of these days, sometime in the not-too-distant future, we could possibly do a live podcast recording yeah. session. That'd be kind of cool. So you can see our beautiful faces. And yeah, exactly. Structure. You can finally, you know, put yeah. a name to the face or face to the name, yeah. if you will. But give you anyways. some spank bank material to look over <laughs> at Connor's that nice beard of his. <laughs> Yours. Oh, yeah. It's nice and clean shaven over there. Clean shaven. Looks all edged up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I always, I always shave. It looks my nice neck. and edged up there. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah. I mean, that's for the future and uh. You know, keep uh, keep listening. Maybe there's a possibility this will happen and you could be there and, you know, whatever. But uh, for right now, we are signing off as Rage Against the Mainstream. This is Bill. Connor. Steve. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.